Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode. We have Dr. Sasha Hines, and we have not talked about positive psychology in this way yet on the show since Rob Mack. So I'm super excited to have Sasha Hines on. She's a trained as a developmental psychologist, is an expert in positive psychology, lasting behavioral change, and the science of getting unstuck. Dr. Hines has leveraged her academic expertise as a former faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania's Master of Applied Positive Psychology program to provide her clients with the tool set, skill set, and mindset to transform their lives. She's the founder of Mind Your Mind, a mind gym for women. Hines received her PhD in developmental psychology from Columbia, her master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, and her BA from Harvard University. She is a powerhouse of her human being and really gives such amazing viewpoints on the idea of how to find and stick to the idea of happiness, positivity in a researched, real way. I'm so excited to have this conversation. I know I need to know more about this. So let's get right into it. Welcome to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. We have Dr. Sasha Hines on here talking about some really cool things that we haven't had on the show yet about positive psychology, how to really reframe our mindset to stop being so stuck in our life and try to create a life that is more valuable, more more fulfilling, and more real. But I don't want to steal the spotlight because it's really about about you. So, Sasha, can you introduce yourself to the listeners super quick? Yeah, I'm so I'm so excited to be here. It's my favorite thing to talk about. Um, so I'm glad that there's some time limit because I could go on about this topic forever. Um, what is positive psychology? I think people get this really wrong. Um, in fact, when I went to so I went to Penn, which is where Martin Seligman, who is the you know founder of positive psychology, along with Mike Cheek sent me high, who wrote the book flow. Um, and, uh, Chris Peterson, who was at Michigan at the time, and they were working on this. There were people that were doing this research already, but he sort of codified it into an actual, um, discrete field of, uh, in the, you know, tree of psychology is one of the branches is positive psychology. So, you know, I was in the first master's class that they had back in 2005. There was only 33 of us and no one had ever gone through a master's program that was dedicated to studying positive psychology. It was so exciting. Um, And then I left the positive psychology world to what we used to call business as usual psychology and went to Columbia to get my degree in developmental psychology. You know, honest to goodness, because there were, there, I, I don't think there was one at the time, not a single doctoral program existed that focused on positive psychology. It was so new. So I then be, uh, got my degree in developmental psych, um, but I'm so glad I did because then I have, you know, I had these two different hats, my developmental hat on and my um, positive psych hat on. So I think it, it gave me a much richer understanding of, um, you know, human psyche and both psychopathology and, um, you know, hum, optimal human functioning on both ends of the scale, on both, you know, ends of it. So um, one of the things that I think the world of the, the world at large and also um, the just field of psychology in general gets wrong about positive psychology is I think that there's this sort of understanding that it's happyology. 
Yeah. And it's just about good vibes and, <laughs> you know, being happier. But that's not at all what positive psychology is really about. Positive psychology, I think, really developed, um, has helped us develop a much more sophisticated language to describe what the good life actually is. That is not just about feeling good. It's actually about doing good. Um, and it's also about living in reality. How do we attend to and hunt the good stuff in the context of reality? And the reality is that life is difficult, that life is uncertain and hard. And that's just the reality of being human on this planet. So, I mean, I think that it can be criticized for being flimsy or not serious enough, but the reality is what is more serious? I Tell me. Um, the question of what makes life worth living I don't know that there's anything more serious than, than, than the pursuit of answering that question. Yeah. And, and I, and I love that. And just to piggyback off that for a second, I think that people, now I'm an LCSW, a licensed clinical social worker and people view, not me, because I think that that's why I have people like yourself on that the, the, the letters after your name isn't what makes the topic serious or not. Mm-hmm. It's about what the topic is. So whether someone's a coach or a doctorate or a PhD or an LCSW or an LMHC, LMFT, ABCDEFG, right. whatever it is, in reality, I think people in the um, more quote unquote legitimized therapy things, big, big air quotes, look down on the other things as, oh, no, that's, that's flimsy or floofy or, or fluffy and not real. Because it's mm-hmm. not research with the CBT and, and DBT and all the letters of, of modalities when right. it can be just as important and even impactful in someone's life as something that could if, – if someone finds that helpful. So yeah. I love when someone is doing – like I think the world of mental health and the um, modalities of therapy, ACT is what you've been just said and ACT is newer in the, in the, in the modalities of therapy, but positive psychology has been around for years. So- yeah. I mean, it just, the, and by the way, I mean, we are just, uh, we are applying the scientific method to age old questions that philosophers, um, you know, scholars, theologians have been asking for centuries. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just the, the modality of it's, it's the method. It's the, it's the method in which we are doing the research and trying to answer these questions. It's different that makes it different, but it's an extension of all of this great work, whether it's Maslow, whether it's William James yeah. um, or it's, or Aristotle and so on and so forth. Yeah. You know, it's just applying the scientific method to those questions. I think people are afraid when something that they don't know about, or it sounds um, childish or fluffy, mm-hmm. they automatically dismiss it as a joke. When right. in reality, just because the name is positive psychology, I like that happyology. I love that. Um, doesn't mean it's not legitimate and helpful and real and, and, and life-changing. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really important to understand is human emotion doesn't exist. And you know this, cause this is the work that you do, but human emotion doesn't exist on a continual spectrum going from negative feelings to positive feelings. And then we just need to inch our way up that spectrum to the more positive feelings. That's not how it works. 
we can simultaneously be feeling a positive emotion and a negative emotion. And I prefer to call it a difficult emotion as opposed to a negative emotion because there aren't, there is no such thing as a negative emotion. There are easier emotions, <laughs> more fun emotions, um, more expansive emotions and more challenging emotions, um, you know, and, and they can coexist. Um, my daughter who's eight and she's so cute and we, I, we, she's a little skier and when we, when she gets up to the ski race, she says, I'm nerve sighted, right? I'm nervous and excited at the same time. I'm like, that's exactly right. That's how it works. That's what it means to be a human. You get to feel these two feelings at the same time. So I think the mistake is this idea that, oh, positive psychology is telling us that we just need to be positive all the time. No, not at all. It's actually exploring, you know, what is the ratio of positive to um, expansive emotions to corrective emotions that we should be aiming for. Um, you know, we, we have a negativity bias. How do we address that? How do we mm -hmm. overcome that? Um, it's, it's really trying to, um, in my mind, positive psychology is one branch of many, many, many branches of, of the field of psychology. There's many different, um, you know, academic disciplines within this larger field of psychology, positive psychology happens to be one of them, but it's more, um, it's, it's just trying to give us a richer picture of what's truly going on. Yeah. And, and it's such an important avenue of our life. I think that there are so many people who are not, not just happy, but not fulfilled or, or have a, a life that is, that they value, um, mm -hmm. so often in today's day and age, um, that why not learn from all avenues, especially something that is so focused on that balance and ratio of life. And I, I think what gives it a bad name is the people who abuse it and create a toxic positivity of, yeah. of, of life, right? Where they overuse okay. the good I have vibes. a thing about this toxic positivity. Ooh, go for it. So I, I think it's a terrible phrase. I think we should never use it because it's actually not toxic positivity. It's denial. Hmm. Like, why are we calling it toxic positivity? It isn't positivity at all. It's denial. It's, it is not, it is an avoidance of reality. Oh, I love that's that. What toxic, that's what the quote toxic positivity means, right? When someone's saying, oh, they're shellacking a, you know, a turd with something that, you know, they're gold leafing the turd. Yeah. It, it's like, no, no, no. We need to address that. This is not good situation. This is hard. This is challenging, whatever it is. Um, but there's a more effective way to approach that challenge and there's a less effective way to approach that challenge. Right. So, you know, to me, the, even the, the, the phrase toxic positivity is a silly one because it's not describing what it is at all. Uh, see, I, that's why I had you on. I'm so excited. You're just saying how it is. I love it. I'm so, I'm so I mean, ready. It really frustrates me because I think then what happens is then people think, well, I'm just supposed to think positively and this and that, and mm -hmm. then it's toxic and it's bad. I'm like, no, 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 no. Here's the deal. You need to hunt the good stuff because your brain is biased to attend to negative information. That's yeah. the way your brain's wired. And it's wired that way for very good reason, which is um, you, you, we need to attend more quickly to negative information because we need to survive. Yeah. So, um, you know, if some actual threat, if you're child is running across the street and there's a car, um, being without even having, recognizing the thought in your head, you're already racing across the street, right? Okay. Absolutely essential. 
that, that, that emotion is giving your body information as to what to do. It's very important. So the idea that we're sort of wiping out negative, uh, you know, negative emotions, difficult emotions, ridiculous because they're, mm-hmm. they're information. It's giving us very important information. Often it helps us attend to reality and not deny, um, to look at the brutal hard facts of what's going on in our lives. Sometimes they're not that great. Right. So the corrective emotions are absolutely essential, but what's missing here is this question of at what ratio, how mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would argue that because we have a negativity bias, we have to offset that negativity bias by hunting the good stuff. But toxic positivity has nothing. If you guys get nothing out of this podcast episode, it's except for this. Next time you hear the phrase toxic positivity, recognize it for what it truly is. And that is, it's a denial of reality. It's not even positive at all. It's not mm-hmm. positivity at all. Mm-hmm. And so why I don't like it is because it makes people think, it kind of conflates positivity with something mm. that's that's not beneficial. But I'm like, but it's actually not positivity. It's straight up old school mm. denial. <laughs> I love that take on it. Ooh, okay, hot take here. There you go. That's going to be the snippet. Um, so, you know, to go to the, the topic at hand is we, we, we sometimes, and, and your specialty is the idea of getting unstuck. Mm-hmm. Why do people get stuck to begin with? What pushes people or maybe kind of forces people into that mentality or lifestyle of stuck? And what does that mean to be stuck? That is a great question. What does it mean to be stuck? Um, I think that could be defined many ways. I would define that um, as um, I have many names for it. You can call it the Sisyphean hell. Um, You can call it... um, you know, that age old, um, St. Paul wrote about it in his letter to the Romans. I do what I don't want to do. And I don't mm-hmm. do what I want to do. This mm-hmm. age old problem, we call it the, the neurotic paradox of why do I keep doing the thing that I know isn't good for me? Or why do I keep avoiding the thing that I know would actually help me? Um, that's how I would define stuck is like, you're on that sort of, um, it's groundhog's day. It's that hamster wheel of like, Oh, I'm here again. You know, I call it the Sisyphean hell. You push that boulder up and you're back where you started. It's the worst. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's absolutely the worst. So why do we get stuck? I think that often we beat ourselves up when we get to that place. Like, what mm-hmm. is wrong with me? You know, uh, it's so easy to get stuck in that pit of just um, self-loathing and self-criticism. But the reality is what's really going on is our psychological immune system is at work doing what it does, which is to protect us, even when that protection is misguided. Mm. So from the research perspective, are there certain things or people or styles that are more um, susceptible to being stuck? Um, You know what? That's a great question. I don't know that there's any research on that, what the big five personality traits are correlated with. Um, I don't know, I, that, you know, with that sort of state of stuckness, I don't know that there's any mm-hmm. research on that. I think it's an, I'm like, hmm, fascinating. I'm going to write that one down. That's a good question. 
what I would say is that um, this is everybody gets stuck. That the our our growth um, in adulthood, our development in adulthood, is a continual um, process of getting stuck and unsticking. It's it's um, getting embedded in, our, in a belief system and and having to emerge from that belief system mm-hmm. to question it to. Um, what we call in, in from with the developmental language to make something that we're subject to. So a belief system that we're subject to, to make that belief system object. So we can Mm. begin to see it and question it and decide whether or not it's accurate anymore. Yeah. Which is why people go to mental health professionals, right? Whatever, whatever gamut is to have that person or objective opinion to give them that, Oh, I didn't think of it that way because I'm so involved in it and I never saw it because I'm so blind to it because of X, Y, and Z reason. Exactly. Um, exactly. So- Going to see a therapist, a uh, skilled coach, all of these things that will help you. Um, be, it helps you practice that distancing. So you're distancing from your story. You're not in it. You're not mm-hmm. just living out the story. You're actually looking at the story and recognizing, oh, you know, I'm the author of this story. Huh? Interesting. <laughs> you know, because often we live our life as if we're just the character in the story and all these things are happening to us as opposed to recognizing, Oh no, no, no. Like this, this story is an object that I'm looking at and I'm actually the author. I'm the script writer. Yeah. And are, and are there success or are there good times to be stuck? Cause you said the, you know, the, the, the adult um, development is the, 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 the back and forth and the, you know, seesaw of stuck to unstuck, stuck to unstuck. Mm-hmm. Meaning that stuck happens. I guess mm-hmm. that's a, we should make a T-shirt. Stuck happens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, is there times where it's actually good or okay to be stuck? Is that a healthy thing to be stuck, or is being stuck always? I don't like the, the extremes, but is being stuck a uh, a bad or um, negative thing in our life? Right. I mean, I think it's just a natural. It's it's a natural part of of our development in the same way that kids kind of um, you know get to they they get to a developmental level where perhaps they're frustrated about something and then they emerge from that frustration, right? So um, the same thing in adulthood, which is I would think about stuck in terms of, oh my, because when stuck is hard is when you think, oh my gosh, I am, you know, I, there's nothing I can do. Like I'm, I'm in this pit and I don't know how to get out of it. But if we actually look at stuck as, oh, this is actually really interesting information. I've hit a wall. I've come to a place where the belief system that I have doesn't work in the context of the world I live in anymore. Hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we can see it that way, it's actually a beautiful thing because normally it creates enough friction in our life to get us to move and do something about it. Yeah, I heard a metaphor years ago about being stuck from a, a psychologist, uh, Dr. Abraham J. Tversky, who, who said that um, it's like a, a lobster, right? If you leave a lobster to grow for years, it can be this massive being. And how that happens is it, it the shell gets to a certain point where it rips open, regrows, gets uncomfortable, rips open, regrows, and that's how it gets so big. And that's what the cycle of human life is. When we feel enough friction, we get so uncomfortable that mm-hmm. we are forced, either forced to make a change because we have to, because we're so uncomfortable, yep. or feel the need to so that we feel more comfortable. What, um, from a psychological perspective, is this another word for the being stuck? Is that another word for depression? Or is that part of depression or is that something that we, we don't even use in the positive psychology world as a terminology for our thought process when it comes to the, the uh, idea of being, uns- being stuck? 
Yeah, I wouldn't say, I don't think that there's there, there synonyms um, of being stuck and being depressed. I think de- being depressed is a very specific state of being. I think you can be, um, you know, very functional and not depressed and also feel really stuck in an area I'm of your life. You You're like, that. this is just not like, what is going on here? Um, you know, why do I keep doing this boneheaded thing over and over and over again? Or, and it, and it could be something that's really, you know, it could be something um, someone's, it's, it could be something like exercise. It could be something um, about, you know, some other area that doesn't feel maybe so catastrophic, but it's just like, why is this so hard for me? I'm so glad you put it that way because that was the point, because I want to make it very clear. You can be quote unquote healthy, you know, have no diagnosis, sure. so to speak, or anything like that, and still be in this state of being stuck and in a rut or in this rhythm of life that is repetitive or the groundhog day. Uh, mentality. Um, I know for me, I'm, I'm a parent of a four month old um, mm-hmm. and, and a three year old. And with the four month olds, especially in the new parenting, I feel that there's no end to any day because yep. it's, you know, you wake up, there's crying, there's feeding, there's, you know, changing diapers, work back upstairs. It's, there's no break. There's just this one yep. day into another. And you're just, didn't I do this already? Kind of thought process or what day is it? mentality. Um, so I would love to get into the idea of being unstuck. Yeah. Right. What are some of the, um, basic foundations of one being aware that you need to be unstuck for your Mm -hmm. own benefit and the people in your life and how you start that process? I mean, I think exactly right. The question is, 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 uh, is an awareness. Like it's always starts with some observation or awareness what's going on here. And I think the most important thing is recognizing if you begin to change your, this one little belief of when I feel stuck, it's just good information. Like if we really just addressed our stuckness is like, okay, this is giving me some feedback. What's going on here. But often what we do is we feel stuck and then we start beating ourselves up and what's wrong with me. And, you know, this is so I'm, you know, I'm crazy. I can't get this. I can't figure this thing out. Why is it so hard? And then we kind of feel shame and we don't deal with it. Right. We just kick the can down the road. But if Mm -hmm. we're actually looking at those, those like friction points in our life, where we feel like, gosh, I've got one foot on the gas wanting to make this change. And I've got another foot on the brake. Um, you know, stopping me from making the change. And I feel like I'm revving my engine and not going anywhere and you feel stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you actually are looking at that and that experience and being like, mm, okay, this is giving me some information. What's the information? What's going on here? And begin to explore, um, you know, what's happening. There's a real power in, in um, helplessness. When you get to that point where you're like, nothing's working. That's actually a beautiful thing because oftentimes that point of nothing's working can finally wake us up to the brutal, the, like the actual reality of what's happening in our life where we actually are looking at like, hold on a second. Let me look what's, what's really going on here. So sometimes that stuckness, like when we allow that friction to wake us up to say, you know, and, and I mean, waking up by attending to reality and not, in a fantasy or hoping something will change, but not doing Mm. anything about it, but like really looking at it. Okay. What's going on here? What am I actually doing? Um, that, that can, that friction can actually be so beneficial because it gets us to move. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, something I'm thinking of, and I'm only asking this because as the interviewer, is there a, a a, like a caveat of being stuck when it comes to the idea of, 
you know, there's a term that Adam Grant uses, the maximizer versus satisficer. Right? I don't oh, think yeah, that's I, from Barry Schwartz. That's, that's from Barry yeah. Schwartz, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know I know you learned under him, and I was going to quote him I, uh, as well. Like, that's the source of that idea. Yeah, yeah. Is being stuck something that is a sensitivity where you're just bored? It's not enough? Or is being stuck, like, for example, you're in a job for 20 years. You mm-hmm. like your job, but you're doing the same routine every day because that's the narr- the narrate the the narrative of your daily life. Not yep. that that's a bad thing, but you're like, oh, here we go again. The Mondays, the Tuesdays, oh, it's the Fridays. So where is the distinction between being stuck versus it being not good enough or being sensitive to the fact that I want more out of life, and but this is mm-hmm. the only life that I can do right now? Right. So I, I, the thing that's so interesting is that being – um, stuck is, is, is completely subjective. So someone could have the same job for 20 years and find it fulfilling and love it and love the routine and love that it creates a container to do work that maybe then allows for family time. And it's just a win-win. They love their job and they're happy having that same routine that feels comforting to them. They love it. Okay. That's their belief system about their job. And another person can have the exact same job um, exact same routine. And their belief system is this is boring. This is mundane. I'm not growing. I'm not changing my, you know, rinse and repeat. I'm living the same day over and over again. And that stinks for them. Okay. So the beautiful thing about this is that it's not the actual situation, the objective situation that's ever the problem. It's always what we think about that objective situation. That's always the issue. So really the work of getting unstuck is about exploring our beliefs and, um, and, and sometimes questioning them, um, sometimes Mm. changing them, um, sometimes, and because the person who's stuck in like stuck, quote unquote, you know, rinse and repeat in the same job and doesn't like it. Well, what are the belief systems that are keeping that person there? Mm -hmm. That's what we would want to explore. Mm -hmm. Um, and we want to start to poke holes in those beliefs. Like, are they accurate or do they make sense? Were they something that maybe was accurate, um, when you first started, like I need the salary and maybe now, um, it's actually not that accurate, you know? Uh, and, but it's got you in its grips, that belief system. So it's really about exploring, questioning belief systems because, you know, um, you know, our mindset is, uh, you know, all behavioral change, all changes that we make are an expression of a mindset change. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. And I, and I think it's so interesting that just because someone else might view you as stuck from an outside perspective doesn't mean that you actually are if you are happy, fulfilled, and, and having a life that you want. Just because exactly. someone's like, oh my gosh, your life looks so boring. You're doing blah, blah, blah every day. And you're like, but I, I, I'm happy. Exactly. Right? So we have to be careful to not let others – that's why I think the social media atmosphere is sometimes very destructive where other people's posts and pictures and views makes us feel like yep. our life is wrong or we're not doing yep. it right. When yep. sometimes if we just took a step back and looked at ourself, we actually are happy. And that leads yep. me to like the idea you talked about for hunting for happiness. I love that, that, that uh, the way you said it. Um, what then is real happiness? How do you add that real happiness and how do you hunt for it when sometimes it's so hard to see mm-hmm. what that happiness is? I mean, I think this is precisely why positive psychology has been so important because it's given us a much richer um, and more nuanced, more sophisticated understanding of what well-being truly is. Seligman's 
theory, well-being theory is what we call PERMA, the PERMA model. And that stand, mm-hmm. there's five components of that model. So from, from, you know, which is my training, but the, the well-being model is, includes positive emotion. And what the point being is that each one of these components uniquely contributes to your well-being, right? So they're all uniquely important. Um, and so, because in, in, in psychology, we want to create models that are, we call them parsimonious, right? We want them the least, the, you know, we want a very, um, a model that isn't complicated, but that actually reflects reality. So we want, you know, the least complicated model that, that holds the most information. So mm-hmm. I think that that's accomplished in this PERMA model. So we have um, what creates well-being, what contributes to well-being, five factors, positive emotion, we, you know, feeling good. Um, pleasure, savoring, um, amusement, fun, all of those things, feeling those feel good emotions. Okay. So that's positive emotion. The E is engagement. So flow, getting into that peak human experience of flow. That means being fully absorbed in what you're doing. That's a component of well-being. contributes uniquely. The next is positive relationships. So the R is relationships, hugely important to your well-being or the quality of the relationships in your life. Um, Meaning is the fourth component. So meaning and purpose, feeling that your life um, is connected to something bigger than you, that um, you know, you're here, you have some sort of um, cohesive understanding of who you are and why you're here and what you're doing, that there's a sense of meaning. And then the fifth component is achievement. So um, you know, going after goals, having a destination that you are sailing towards, um, that that's hugely important to your well-being. But I think the thing that really, when you're looking at this model to understand, positive emotion is one of five components, one of five. So, and oftentimes it's not the easiest entry point. Mm-hmm. So if someone was saying, you know, I want more well-being, I want to feel more fulfilled. I want, um, you know, what we call eudaimonia, right? Like really well, well-being that is a sort of more full-bodied a psychologically rich life. Um, yeah. Then I would say, hey, you know, maybe the entry point is exploring um, your relationships, or the entry point might be an achievement. You know, find a goal to go after. That might be easier than just trying to feel better, right? Because uh-huh. if we try to feel better, often we go to substances that shortcut that feel better thing that actually are very destructive to uh-huh. our life, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, an entry point might be go start a goal, go after like set a goal. That's a great way to boost your well-being. Um, create more meaning in your life. What do, what are your values? What do you want to do? Be of service. How do you want to live a life that feels bigger than you? And that's another easy entry point, right? It's just, can we, can we be of service to somebody else today? Man, AA was right on with this one, right? You're having a bad day, three acts of service. Like they were onto something. So, um, the other entry point is flow. What do you like to do? What are you good at? Can you do more of it? Can you get into that state where there's no time you're totally free of yourself? It's the most transcendent feeling when you're in flow. And, and that is a component of well-being. So I, I, in fact, think the hardest entry point is like, Hey, I just want to feel better. Mm -hmm. Good luck with that. Right. So I think positive psychology has really given us some great, uh, a much, um, you know, more comprehensive understanding of what are the entry, what are the side doors that we can come into to make um, our life better, to uh, to have 
uh, a more fulfilling, meaningful life, which ultimately is something that contributes to the good life, right? To our happiness and well-being. Yeah. And, and, you know, when someone says like, oh, just have a good life, it sounds so like fantasy, but it's a reality that can be created with us being so act, more active. And I love that you, you said the entry point thing. I think that's so important for people to hear because a lot of people push um, good feeling emotions first, like the positive good emotions, which yeah. is very nice. Okay, great. But what if you've been... Yeah, I want them too. It, I want those good right? feeling I want them too. too. Yeah. <laughs> like what if your behavior and your thought process for years has been a little more negative or pessimistic or more uh, not open to that idea? Are you now not able to have that that thought process and more well? Of course not. And one of the reasons, you know, I told you before we're moving out to Nevada, my family, is for this active lifestyle of being about quality, whether it's outdoors, more right. more relationships, more more um, energy, more uh, meaning, and of family, of relationships of that way. And that took a very hard leap. Yeah to make that decision from the comfort or the things that we were used to. And I think that's what stops people a lot when they're feeling stuck or in this place, they're afraid to go the next step to make the choices that might ruffle feathers of some people. Like my family's not so happy. I'm leaving New York because yep. that's all I know. I've been here. My, my grandmother's here, my family. What are you doing? This is what, like do not compute. But that, but what you're doing, what you're engaging in is actually um, a part of your adult development, which is you are, you're, you're emerging into a more self-authored mindset from a socialized mindset where what your family thinks you should do is what matters, right? Where your identity is, is determined externally. How am I doing guys? You know, am I doing all right? And then, and, but I think our, you know, our task in adulthood is, can we emerge into and evolve into a more self-authored mindset where we can hold our family's opinions as object and look at them and say, yep, I know you're disappointed. I understand this isn't what you wanted, but I am the author of my own life and I'm going to make this decision for me. And I, you know, and I love you and we'll find ways to connect and I will prioritize that. But that the, your identity and your sense of self is internally constructed as opposed to externally constructed. This is a developmental challenge. What you're doing right now is actually a developmental challenge, even though we don't talk about it in that language. Um, but that's precisely like that's what's happening. And, and, I, and I have found as a therapist so many people in my office struggling with that battle totally. of finding Same. that aha, oh my gosh, this is now my choice as an adult. Because you said before we got on the call about the focus of child development, development for child to become an adult. And then we just stop talking about not making adjustments and changes for ourselves, whether it's mental health, whether it's career, whatever those things are, education, who knows. But we stop talking about development of like even if you look at the theorists of like Freud and Erickson of their narration, mm-hmm. Erickson goes into the other parts, but it's not it's not heavily development of skill based. It's more how you perceive life. So Absolutely. why why like, I think and why George is that Valiant, a thing? Yeah, it's really interesting because our our psychological maturity doesn't end when we hit our physiological maturity. Mm-hmm. Right. So. 
at 25, we've, we've hit our physical maturity, but that doesn't mean that our psychological maturity is, is done. It's over. In fact, we're constantly growing and evolving. Um, but we then lack a framework to do that work as adults. So in childhood, there are, there are developmental milestones and norms Yes. and, and we have a sense of how is my kid doing in terms of their growth and development? We have a vague sense of, you know, are they within the range of Mm -hmm. somewhat normal? Right. Um, but in adulthood, we don't have any of that framework. You just sent out into the wilds of adulthood and expected to do this work on your own, which is nuts, nuts. So, you know, everyone has their little pile of um, those are the listening to this podcast. You guys are all in this club of people that like to grow and develop and are into self-help probably, but you probably have your, you know, pile of self-help books on your bedstand that you're working through, but you're doing it isolated for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think that there is a big, there's a gaping hole in adulthood, which is where is the, how, why are we not doing this work in community? Why don't we talk about our growth and development outside of the context of psychopathology? You don't have to have a disorder um, mm-hmm. or an addiction to, to focus on your, your psychological maturity. 100%. 100%. When I have someone who comes to my office and they say, I, I, I'm doing fine mentally. Like I'm okay. I don't have anxiety. I don't have depression, whatever word, whatever terminology diagnosis you would like to put from the DSM onto anyone. I just want to learn how to grow and be myself and, and, and what that means and have that person in my life, i.e. me as their therapist or anyone Mm -hmm. to help them on the journey. And I'm like, yes, like, yes, it's the same thing. I specialize in relationships. I love when a couple comes to me and says, we're not in crisis. We're not getting a divorce. Yeah. We're not, there's no affair. There's no intensity here. We just want to work on the maintenance of learning the basic skills and how to move forward together individually, personally, all those things. And I'm like, go you, go you yep. as an adult, because we forget that we forget that. And it's so totally. sad because it's so important for the rest of our lives. So important, right? If you're 25 and you live till you're 90, I, I, I'm not a math person. That's why I'm a therapist. It's a lot of time, right? Yeah. It's a lot of time. Well, yes. And also I think the important thing to note is that despite our um, cultural assumption, wisdom is not correlated with age. Nope. So, I mean, seriously, if you really take a step back and think about the people that you know in your life, those that are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, some of them happen to be incredibly wise. Some of them are not. They're, they, they are They are older but they are not wiser. Um, and, and I think that this idea that we just naturally develop our um, cognitively, that we become more cognitively sophisticated and we develop our pers- perspective and um, that our meaning-making systems become more sophisticated, et cetera, that we just make an assumption that that just happens by default is wrong. It mm. doesn't happen by default. It happens by effort and attention. Mm. Whew, okay. I love everything you're saying, but we got we to gotta wrap up because we both have a lot of things to do on our schedule. I want to just first thank you so much for all your work and, and just putting something out there that is quality and is so helpful and real for so many people, myself included. I love Seligman. I love all the books I've read, you know, and, and looked into it. And I love 
the the stuff that you bring to the table. So I have a. Oh, I so appreciate that. It makes all those years of slogging it out so worth it. You know, it's really fun. <laughs> I would not have the patience to be in, in uh, get a PhD. So I admire people who do. Um, what is the uh, the last thing? If you had two things to leave someone with. Um, when it comes to the, the being unstuck in happiness world, what are those like two go-to things that you might think are really important for people to hear? Two things. One is if you're feeling stuck, it does not mean something's gone wrong. It That friction is actually trying to give you information. So it's, it's not, I, what I mean is like something's not wrong with you. You're not, you're not like fundamentally flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not on the island of misfit toys all by yourself. Uh-huh. You're a human. And that's the natural part of that growth of the human is, you know, I've hit this wall where the beliefs that I have don't work in this context anymore. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is make sure not to beat yourself up. Like I'm, something's wrong with me. No, it may be there's, there's information I need to pay attention to. There's reality that I'm not attending to. What's happening? So uh-huh. that's one. And the second thing would be, really understanding that our growth is not about, um, you know, just changing our behavior. It's about changing the assumptions that we have that make those behaviors happen. Ooh, I love that. I love that. Where can people find, reach out to you, get more information about you, maybe work with you if they'd like? Yeah. Um, on Instagram, uh, my handle is at D-R-S-A-S-H-A-H-E-I-N-Z. So Dr. Sasha Hines. And I'm so excited because we're launching, um, Mind Your Mind used to be a standalone course and now it is, um, you know, a community, a membership, um, community. So I'm really excited. We're launching this in the fall, um, you know, to get all of my science over self-help content and, um, and to do, and to create what I dream of is having a community where you can do this work, um, outside of the context of, of disorder, disease, dysfunction, and psychopathology. Like, Hey, you're a human being and you're an adult and you have normal challenges in adulthood. Yeah. Um, and this is the, you know, and, and creating a community where women can do that work together. So I, I couldn't be more excited about it. I love that. I love that. I think men need that too. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about that. Um, but thanks so much for showing oh, up this today has on been the show. So much fun. What a pleasure. And, and, in, uh, and I know this is the worst thing that someone can say, but just, you know, when you're saying enjoy those little, the, that little four oh, month old. Oh my gosh. He's my little <laughs> dude. In the moment you're like, lady. I'm so tired. Oh no, no. I love my little dude and my little lady. They're my buddies. Oh, so my sweet. Best. Oh, they're so cute. Um, yeah. So I will talk to you soon. I really appreciate it. And uh, really, thank you so much for today. Oh, what a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much to listening to this week's episode of The Dude Therapist. And it only is happening because of you, the listeners, tuning in every week, even twice a week to this show all about mental health, relationships, and wellness topics. And really, let's be honest, everything in between. And I'm so excited to show up every time and having great guests. So thank you. And if you have any questions, concerns, ideas, collaborations, email me at thedudetherapist at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram at thedudetherapist. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know your ideas. I can't wait to hear from you. And if you can go along, 
subscribe, rate, review on all the streaming sites that you're listening on. I truly appreciate it because that's what makes this thing happen. So thanks for tuning in this week and see you next time on the Dude Therapist podcast. We've got more guests and more great content coming your way.